Welcome back to another episode of Launch AMA, where we ask startup experts about anything and everything. I'm your host as usual, Sam, the VP of Programs here at Launch Academy. I'm joined today by Kevin Ho, VP of Marketing of Wishbog. Uh, welcome, Kevin. Thanks, Sam. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Oh, Kevin, how long have we known each other now? I feel like you've been at Wishbog as long as I've been at Launch. Yeah, well, kind of moving on six years, I think, about that for me at Wishbog. I'm not sure how long you've been at Launch. I, I think it's a pretty much the same time so so i've i've watched uh, kevin's rise so to speak <laughs> yeah i think we met at like a hiring fair at the fairmont or something <laughs> yeah it must have been something like that yeah it's been a long time but i mean i mean like you're um we'll talk a little bit about wishpod in a little bit but i'm just reading your byline here so it says you're a contributor of google startup grind social media examiner member of revenue collective um as well so it's and also you're the co-founder of plus media a digital agency specializing in crowdfunding platforms um, so, so it sounds like you're, you're definitely keeping yourselves busy, but I wanted to kind of just highlight that a little bit before we dive deeper into your role at Wishpond. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Always, always keeping busy. Um, yeah. <laughs> and, and then we were just talking about sock mafia off the, off the, off the rails there as well. What's sock mafia? Yeah. So it's a funky sock company. Um, we have, you know, I, I started just kind of as a fun thing to, to, as I was, uh, in sales at Wishpond, uh, we're always dealing with all these Shopify people and they're telling us all these little tactics that they're trying and doing. It's like, oh, it's kind of so different than the tech and the SaaS world, trying something, a physical product. So I just kind of ran with that for a while and just trying things like Google My Business and retargeting ads, uh, different things like that. It's pretty cool. You actually learn a lot about the platform and, and actually now it's kind of rolled off and now I'm doing a lot more B2B stuff, which is super random, but that's yeah, kind of a cool little side gig. Yeah, for sure. We'll we'll definitely have probably have some questions about that later. But just to kind of kick yeah. things off for everybody that's listening live right now, if you do have questions, we do have a Q and A feature, and I'll make sure to kind of get that over to to Kevin. Um, and then and then as we kind of build up the conversation, we're going to go through all sorts of things, marketing and his role as an as an entrepreneur as well, and his experience working with with so many different demographics, small businesses, corporations, what have it. So, so yeah, if you do have questions for Kevin, as, as we keep chatting, just feel free to fire them in, but just kind of get started just for everybody that's not familiar with Wishpond. Like what is Wishpond? What do you do there? Sounds good. So yeah, Wishpond, we're an all-in-one marketing platform, similar to maybe like a HubSpot. If you guys are familiar with that, we have tools similar to Unbound, to Privy, um, to Wix. Like we have a lot, basically it's, you know, the entire marketing platform, digital marketing platform in one place. The thing that really differentiates Wishbone, though, is that we also have a managed service team. So one of the problems that we found years ago is that people would come to us and say, you know, I want to build this landing page. And then they would build it and it would look like crap and we get zero results. And then, you know, they'd say like, oh, well, you know, can you guys do this for me? And at the time we had no services and we'd say, no, you guys can, you know, look for an agency. And they were like, agencies are too expensive and, you know, we don't have the resources in house. So eventually we started doing little by little more and more services for people to the point now where our services arm is probably the biggest part of our business. Um, and we actually manage people's entire marketing funnels from start to finish, build landing pages, design it, run ads to it, optimize it, send the reports. So it's, you know, I think the, the pain point that we realized in the market was that people are looking for software. You know, they might be Googling things, looking for a landing page, looking for a pop-up, looking for email marketing solutions, but they're actually looking for a solution, not a, a tool, right? So that's kind of where we come in is not uh, on the tool side, but on the actual services side and kind of doing everything for you. That's awesome. And how about yourself? Like, how did you kind of get into startups and technology and I guess marketing? Yeah, good question. So I started with Wishpond uh, about, you know, close to six years ago now. I started in customer support. Um, I was just looking to kind of get my feet wet and, you know, in, in the startup world, um, I liked the idea of working at like a SaaS company at the time. I like, didn't even really know what SaaS meant. I was like, oh, this thing's kind of cool. I moved from support and I started, you know, I, I remember when I first started, I told the guys, uh, I wanted to be a content marketer. So then when one of the content marketers left, they said, oh, Kevin, you know, you have an option to, you know, help contribute. So I was doing like one article a month for probably like six months and I was getting involved in the blog and. You know, our inbound, uh, for a long time, our inbound marketing process was the biggest uh, driver of revenue for us. Like 95% of revenue or 99% of revenue came through inbound. Like, uh, you know, people reading our blog, uh, talking to our sales team or, you know, signing up through our SaaS platform. And I was writing all the content for that and figured all the SEO stuff. Moved into becoming an SDR where I qualified leads for a sales team. Uh, I've been in, an inbound account executive closing deals. Um, I was the only in outbound account executive for about a year, um, basically building out the whole process of, you know, selling uh, to cold leads, which is now probably our biggest driver of new revenue. And that, you know, just to give you some context, 
I was the first outbound account executive, and now there's a team of 13, which I manage. Um, and yeah, now I'm just handling marketing, uh, PR, uh, sales, inbound, outbound, SDRs. So basically all of revenue, essentially. Wow. And how, how big is Wishpond today? Uh, we're about 130, 135, and we hire a lot. So about plus the 130 mark right now. Pretty cool. And that's based in Vancouver, right? It's based in Vancouver, but ever since the pandemic, uh, we've been hiring a lot of people kind of remotely as well. Um, so we have people in you know, Winnipeg and Toronto. We have people in Mexico. We have people in uh, Europe, kind of all over the place. That's, that's crazy. So definitely like, I want to dive deeper into that, but like kind of, kind of first of all, we, we were again shooting offline, like saying like, it's actually kind of rare for, for like an employee to be at the same startup for, for like this many years. Like what kind of made you kind of personally want to stick around and, and, you know, hang around with the growth trajectory of, of the company and obviously yourself as, as, as part of the company, but, but like, did you ever think about like, Hey, the, I, I was going to be here for this long or, or you would have thought like, Oh, this, this is a job at the moment. I'm going to learn some stuff and move on somewhere else. Like, and I think what I want the, the takeaway for this question to be is, is more so like for companies that are trying to create um, a culture and employment that, that they can have core team members. Like what, what are some of the things that kind of appeal to you? Yeah. So, I mean, I think for me, it was the, the idea of growth, right? Like being able to, uh, I think with startups, a lot of times uh, versus like working at like a fortune 500 company is that, you know, you have to have the experience in a, in a bank to get the certain role before you even get it. Right. The one thing that I liked about Wishpond was they always gave opportunities, you know, maybe uh, even a little bit early. It's like, I don't know much about this. You jump in head first and you kind of figure it out along the way. So I was able to jump in and figure out, you know, blogging and sales and marketing and PR and investor relations and all that kind of stuff. Um, so I guess for founders, um, really just making sure that you're hiring, you know, good, solid people who have core, core aptitude that, you know, is, is conducive with someone who can do well, but then giving them opportunities, even if it goes beyond the initial wheelhouse of skills that they came there with. That's super fair. And then, and then you kind of mentioned that, that you guys have kind of grown, not, not just in physical size in terms of, of employees, but like, it kind of sounds like even the last time we chatted deeply about Wishpond, like um, the, the services weren't as full, fully flushed out. Right. So, so yeah. can you kind of paint the picture of like when you guys, when you first joined Wishpond or, you know, I'm talking almost six years ago, what was the product then? And like, how has that changed from the product now? Yeah, it's a good question. So, you know, uh, in the past, Wishpond, if you Google us, uh, I think a lot of places know us as like a social contest platform, Facebook contest, Instagram contests, like we're rank, you know, number one, top three for like how to get Instagram likes, Facebook contests, contest examples. So pretty high volume uh, keywords. And we get a lot of our traffic from there. In the past, that was how people had known about us. So I would say like the audience that we we're targeting back then was a lot of probably like 50-50 business owners, small business owners and marketers. So somebody like myself on a team years ago, you know, a couple years ago when I'm looking to like, can we run a contest for us? And I would run and, and use Wishpond. Um, what we found is that, uh, there's a bigger audience of people, uh, on the, on the business, small business side of things. And oftentimes, uh, say someone's trying to run like a contest, that's, you know, a seasonal thing. It might last three, four months. Right. So what we've done is we've now, uh, started to focus more on building out entire marketing plans for people that are evergreen and things like sales pages and retargeting ads and Google, my business and things that are going to go a little bit longer term review campaigns, things like that. Um, and, and I think part of uh, our process now is, is this change from a self-service signup. So we don't get people to like sign up um, necessarily on the platform and do it by themselves. We get our team involved from the beginning. So we have a heavy sales involvement along that process. Mm -hmm. and, and this is, this is actually a question from, from Raphael in, in the audience. Um, he will kind of wants to understand more about, you know, your, the change in direction, like kind of, you talked about how, how things have evolved. And part of that was the seasonal push. Yeah. Um, but what steps did you as a, company or a team take to validate that like moving from a product to service doesn't doesn't sound easy at all um so so like like you know in terms of when you guys were just exploring like how did you know okay this is going to be work this is the direction we're headed in yeah good question so i think a big push uh, came from our ceo um and that was based off changing our kpis right they say like what you focus on where focus goes energy flows right and for a long time, it was just based off, uh, you know, one time we would, we'd look at our, uh, you know, monthly sales and we'd say like, what's, uh, 
you know, we want to get from X, you know, one to two, whatever that might be. Right. Yeah. And in that case, it made our sales team a lot of sense to be selling like one-time contests or one-time campaigns and trying to get big clients and designing these like kind of one-off things. We changed that a couple of years ago to be based off uh, MRR. So monthly recurring revenue. And that was kind of the key shift for us because when we're looking at MRR, then it made sense of, okay, what kind of services can, what types of things can we do to basically uh, increase recurring revenue long-term and it's not going to be one-off things. It's going to be things like ongoing services. Mm -hmm, for sure. And did you find that your, your demographic of customers changed as well? Um, not really. I mean, I'd say probably in the past, based off of what we were offering, like, uh, it was more skewed towards marketers, but now I would say it's probably the approach is a little bit more towards uh, business owners. And that's kind of the direction that our marketing has taken as well, like on our blog and how we just, we're doing a website redesign, kind of repositioning ourselves that way. Mm -hmm. What's, what's the general demographic? Like, is it still SMBs or? Uh, I would say it's SMBs more skewed towards the small business side, actually. These days. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool. And then, and then the other question that was kind of, kind of hanging around that a couple of people actually asked is, and, and you even mentioned yourselves, like, you know, people will compare you to HubSpot, people compare you to, to Wix, Squarespace, Unbounce, you know, these are, these are pretty big companies. Mm -hmm. So, so like when you're entering like, like a market that there, there's heavy competition, there's advertising everywhere. Like how do you guys kind of handle that? And what kind of approach do you guys take? Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, there's a couple things. I mean, A, the market is 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 bigger than you'd think. So there's always uh, you know, room for certain things. And I think we had a bit of an advantage because we had we were known for um, you know, social contests, which again is not like the best thing to be known for, but at mm -hmm. least we kind of had a hook of like, okay, Wishpond is a contest platform. But then once we had basically gotten people's attention, then we would basically introduce them to some of our other services that we would have. So I would say, you know, it's probably, you know, when you're entering into a market and there's these big uh, companies there, the number one thing you could do is probably niche out, like be even more specific to either a specific segment of the audience or your tool is solves of, you know, you're the best tool, best tool in class for this. And for us, it was conscious that we were known for. So that's, you know, we kind of took that as is and we weren't super happy with it per se because you know mm -hmm. contest is not like this exploding market but that being said it was a really good way to draw people in and then introduce them into other things yeah people are still doing contests nowadays people still are doing contests but it's not like uh, i don't know like if you tell like an you know vc hey we got this constant contest company, <laughs> super pumped up on that right yeah yeah so like you, you talked about going niche like let's, let's get specific like how how niche are we talking about like how far did you guys focus out because i think that's that's actually like a core question that, that a lot of founders, especially when they're trying to establish themselves, like they have a core offering. They, they would have, let's say like a, a, a small array of customers, but sometimes that sample size is, is too small for you to decide like whether, whether a segment or B segment, like how, how deep do, would you kind of recommend focusing on when, when I guess you're just getting started trying to find that niche? Yeah. I mean, it's honestly, I don't know. I think it's tough through, through, it depends on the approach you take, right? I think it's tough through marketing um, to some degree uh, to, to figure that out uh, in, in, a, in a timely fashion. Uh, one thing that we we've done is that we've uh, grown our outbound channels quite a lot. So for instance, like we'll find um, we can quickly test new audiences. So I can, we can find like a list of people who are like gym owners um, and, you know, or restaurant owners, or they, you know, spa businesses. And we can say like, is this a good market for Wishpond? We'll send emails out to them. We'll get them on the phone with our SDRs. We'll pass them to our account executives. And we can try new value propositions on the phone with them or on a demo to say, here are the three features that we offer that could be of value to you. Is this something that you would pay for? And at the end, will you actually pay for it? And then the data will show and, you know, the sales data will show that either, yes, that's a market that's, uh, you know, a good fit for us, in which case we should roll out product pages and more blog content for it. Or is this something that when we're positioning as to the restaurant owner, they're saying, oh, actually... I have one, two, three, four objections based off the other services that are currently in the market. So I would say don't underestimate the value of qualitative data um, in terms of talking to people, doing user mm -hmm. testing, actually getting someone on the phone. Like, do you want this? I think people operate in this little bubble too much. And it's like, I'm going to make this landing page and I'm going to write it. Then it's like, you have, you know, a hundred people visit the page. You clicked on this button. It seems like he's interested. Like that's not really for us. I would rather be talking to people and getting live feedback. So that's, that's really fascinating because like the, the context in which we're talking here, like you're speaking as, as a representative of a company that makes landing pages, right? So yeah. I've noticed you've talked about this a couple of times already is, is this kind of concept of getting on the phone 
And 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 I I also noticed it on on your guys' website. I think there's there's a very strategic you know choice to made there. Like when I click on pricing, it goes to, hey, like let's set up a call and let's figure out your needs. Yeah. Right. So so like, why do you guys put so much emphasis on that? And 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 like, how have you found that to to work? I'm presuming better than than the alternative of you know you clicking add or 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 trying to get the sale through through right away. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's a couple things, right? I think for us, as I mentioned before, like uh, people might come to us for a variety of reasons. Someone's coming to us for a pop-up, right? Or someone's coming to us for a contest. Um, but at the core, they have a need that's deeper than that, right? They, they, they might be looking for a pop-up and they might be willing to pay $49 for a pop-up, but their need, if you look at below the surface, what am I actually looking for? I'm actually looking to increase the conversion rate on my website. Why do I want to increase the conversion on my website? Because I want to get more sales. Why do I want to get more sales? Because my offline business is failing and I need to start this online business thing up. So I really have fear that, uh, you know, I'm missing out on online and that, I, you know, this is my opportunity, especially through the pandemic. Okay, there's a core need there. It's really difficult to communicate that with people through a website page, right? When we speak to someone on the phone and get someone in touch with somebody from our sales team, they can actually ask those probing questions, figure out what the core of what you're looking for is, and then position our solution as it relates to those core needs. There's, uh, you know, when I when I do sales coaching with a team, I, one of the things we always talk about is like find the need, dig deep, right? Like dig <laughs> deep, find the pain. We want to find the pain so that we can position uh, our solution uh, accordingly. That makes a lot of sense. So, so like I think the two kind of natural questions that arise from that first one is is, you know, with it being kind of this higher, higher hurdle for me as, as a potential customer to actually like pick up the phone. I think there's a little bit of stick yeah. in there depending on, on who it is. Yeah. Um, like, have you, have you kind of rate weighed the risks of that? And like, what are your kind of thoughts? Like, you know, I'm maybe I'm trying to sign up for wish pond for something, but then I don't really want to talk on the phone. I don't want to set up a half hour call and get upsold on stuff. Yeah. Um, like what's, what's the balance? Okay. So, I mean, yeah, we, we, we ran this and it was probably one of the most like high impact and uh, you know, polarizing tests that we ran internally about getting everybody to go through a, a salesperson before signing up. Mm -hmm. And uh, we ran the test for a while uh, comparing the data and, you know, the average value sale, you know, uh, the LTV for clients just shot through the roof. Um, once we got them on the phone, the conversion rate went through uh, the roof in terms of uh, you know, the people who would actually stay long-term and actually make it through a free trial assuming yeah. that they had, you know, had some uh, interactions with our sales team or our customer success team. Um, I mean, there are some people that still are going to be like, I don't want to use this. I'm just kicking the tires, in which case, um, you know, depending on the, the price point of your product, you might want to go another route. You know, it's every uh, company is different in that way. Um, yeah. one, one thing that we did find was because we do have a big international audience, uh, it didn't make sense for every single person to speak to a salesperson, right? Like somebody from, mm -hmm. um, you know, maybe areas of South America or Eastern a East Asia, like the, the currency exchange just doesn't make sense. Um, and then there's time zone differences in terms of when we have availability. So we actually have two versions of our website. We have wishpond.com slash V2, which you can't really go to because it's going to redirect you to the regular homepage if you're in North America. We have another version, which is a straight SaaS site which we can get people on 14 day free trials, which we can, you know, use our, our, you know, email upgrade flow and all the kind of things that we used to do. Um, so we can kind of have our cake and eat it too. We have one version of the website, which is dedicated to people who maybe a uh, sales process doesn't necessarily fit for. And then we have, um, depending on where you're located, um, another flow taking you through to talk to someone on our team. That's, that's super fascinating because uh, a lot of our listeners here and a lot of people that are listening live, like they are looking at, uh, a scenario where they have what we would consider international yeah. customers, but for them, it might be local at the, for the time being. Yeah. Um, but they're also trying to hit this North American market. Um, yeah. And, and so like, what are like, I think we highlighted kind of one of the key differences already. Like, what have you, what else have you seen in terms of the difference between trying to market for North America versus um, I guess the rest of the world. And, and, and I mean, that's, that's broad, right. Because yeah. you, like Asia is different than Europe and et cetera, but just kind of more of a general pulse. Yeah. I mean, good question. To be honest, we don't really focus that much. I mean, just because we pumped out so much blog content and we have you mm -hmm. know decent SEO, we have a lot of traffic coming from those different places. We don't necessarily uh, focus on it per se. I'd say the biggest difference is that in some areas, it makes sense to introduce a sales process and other areas it doesn't. Yeah. Um, so that would be kind of the main thing. I don't know if, I mean, we have affiliates and we have other types of programs uh, in, in some of our international pools that work well. Yeah. But, um, 
Um, our focus primarily, you know, one of the things we always look at is like, what's the most high leverage thing we can do to grow revenue in this quarter or this year? And that's usually going to be focused on the North American market for us, at least. Versus yeah. like getting a thousand new signups and, you know, 20% of those convert and then, you know, there's a refund, you know, it's just like that the funnel, it, it starts to really dry out quickly. Yeah, for sure. I mean, just to, just to pick on, on, on one of the companies that I know is listening here. So we have a company called trace metric. They, they run a SaaS platform that, that works with uh, digital advertisers, right? Mm-hmm. So it kind of helps optimizes their, their efficiencies that way. I'm not doing a good job of pitching it, but yeah. I just kind of just wanted to use them as an example, right? Like they're, they're trying, they, they have existing international clients okay. um, and they're, they're trying to build more brand presence in, in North America. Like, would you recommend the, the, you know, talk with one of our sales representative strategy for them as they're trying to build this brand. Cause like, like you and I, we wouldn't have heard of them. Right. Yeah. So, so there's, there's probably like some trust questions. We're not quite sure who they are or what they do. Um, but, but for what one reason or another, they've stumbled onto the website, right? Like what would you kind of recommend for something in somebody in like this scenario? Yeah. Good question. So you're talking about for, for inbound, like people come to their website. Yeah. Yeah. For inbound, like what, what would you kind of say that process is? And we're going to kind of wrap around back around, around the different channels that, that you would kind of use to, to, mm-hmm. to kind of get them there in the first place. Um, but, but just for, just cause we're talking about this right now. I mean, it's so hard to say, right. I mean, I have to take a look at the data. Like are people, mm-hmm. you know, is it a, is it a SAS sign up right now? If so, are people making it through the homepage and you have a decent conversion rate from homepage to app already, if that's the case, I would use that as a lead magnet or lead gen thing, get their email, at least get them in the platform and then maybe have like guided onboarding or like a mandatory uh, onboarding call potentially. So if you're already getting people into the platform, you know, at that point, maybe it's like step three of setting up your account, talk to somebody. Okay. Now we have our cake and eat it too. Um, If no one's making it past the homepage, you probably have some positioning issues, in which case I would recommend doing some more user testing and mm-hmm. talking to and seeing if things make sense and maybe doing outbound uh, to specific people and account-based marketing, that might work well to, to you nail out the process. Um, but in terms of having somebody involved in sales long-term, I, that's really going to ma- deter- that's really going to be based off what uh, the average contract value or the lifetime value of the customer is, right? If it's like 50 bucks then it makes no sense. Yeah, for sure. And, and just kind of on that topic, like I'm sure you've seen your fair share of different SaaS businesses, whether, whether it's people you worked with or, or, you know, Wishpond itself, like, what are your thoughts kind of freemium free trial? Like, when does it work? When does it not work? Yeah. Good question. So we actually had freemium, um, probably like 2017, I think maybe, maybe earlier. Um, it's, I think, I think the thing with freemium is that you have to have a solid, solid, solid plan of how you're going to upsell and how you're going to retain people beyond, uh, you know, the, them signing up. And I think what comes down to having really good value metrics. So I think Slack has a really good model where, you know, you know, it's really easy to sign up and, um, you know, the difference between uh, free and paid is being able to search, you know, a lot, all those messages. So any legitimate business that's using it would need to go back, you know, retroactively and search through the records of the password I sent you or whatever. So that's like a legitimate business need, right? So I understand the difference between someone who's kicking the tires and might use it for free, doesn't need to, to use that search function versus someone who does, uh, is in a legitimate business. And that, that for that reason, it's worth upgrading. For us, we used to have a plan where it was, I think it was free 200 leads, a freemium plan, 200 leads. And then if you wanted to go to, you know, up to a thousand leads, it was like $49 a month or whatever it was. And what we found was that the value metrics weren't aligned to the personas that people were signing up. So for instance, like the small business owner, or it just didn't make sense, right? Like a SaaS business, uh, you know, a B2B business could sign up, create a landing page. And this could be like a, you know, a, you know, a couple hundred person business, create a landing page for like a B2B uh, consultation maybe only get 50 leads because each leads worth a lot to them and they're paying us zero because they haven't exceeded 200 leads. Right. Yeah. So it, you know, I think you really got to think about like, who are these people that are signing up? And then if they do sign up, like at what point does it make sense for them to pay and really, really think through that. Just getting a ton of people into the platform is not necessarily going to equate to revenue. In yeah. Our yeah. Yeah, for sure. And then now with this model, like, like, you you've been sounds like you've been growing your your sales team quite a bit but in terms of scaling i think that was the other question that we were talking about in in terms of like oh we want to set up training calls or or sales leads calls like how do you scale something like that especially when when you're starting small and i think you've got kind of this front row seat to to watching how wishpond has has grown from like at one point you said you were the first 
was it SDR? I can't remember the I title you were holding. Outbound salesperson, yeah. Outbound salesperson. And now I don't know how many there are, right? But yeah. but like how how did that scale? Yeah, good question. Um, I mean, a lot of it I think is uh sales uh is one of those things where I think you know, you talk to people who are outside of sales or maybe don't know a lot about sales, they think it's like you meet the guy at the coffee shop and you're like super smooth, <laughs> you go for dinner and you're this like Wolf of Wall Street, like slick guy. Uh, in my opinion, and what we found is that it's very, the, the sales process to be very deliberate um, and it has to be very structured. Um, so what I mean by that is like, we have a, a drawing that I created that kind of walks through every stage, you know, building rapport, digging deep, finding the pain, you know, three specific features of your platform and then closing every step. Does that, is that a value? Making sure that we can align what we're showing them. It actually meets a need. And then having a very clear next step after that and a process to you know get them to sign a contract or to put their credit card information to start the free trial. And then looking again at um, that process as you hire new people, making sure we use a, a platform called Gong so we can actually see the different stages that the sales calls go through and see, okay, are you asking the right questions? Are we position, Are we showing the examples we're supposed to be showing? Um, are they talking for the amount of time they're supposed to be talking? Uh, are we giving them clear next steps? And then just looking at people across, um, you know, each team member and saying, you know, if you as a founder have started the sales process and you know that it's not unrealistic to close 25% of these leads, when you hire somebody after, you know, two months in, if they are not, you know, at a, you know, kind of above a 10% closing rate or 15% closing rate, you know that there's a problem there, right? So, and then you can kind of use some of these tools to evaluate what's the issues there. So I, I think using data to see what should the closing rates be, and then really honing in on what specific parts it, you know, I think a sales call should be as you should be looking as that, looking at that in as much detail as you would look as your marketing funnel, right? Like where are they going? Are they, are they going to the landing page? Are they going into your platform? Are they clicking on this email? Are they using the certain feature? The sales process should be the same, right? Like, are we getting the right cues throughout that we're looking for? And you'll know that I think, you know, being the person who's maybe building out the sales program, uh, you'll, you'll get a front row seat to that. And then you kind of got to keep that, hold that same standard for the people that you hire. Mm -hmm. And just kind of, just kind of this last things on, on sales, I think before we move on to marketing, yeah. um, what kind of software do you guys recommend or, or that you guys are seeing that's useful for, for tracking these kind of things? Yeah. So Gong is really useful for us. It's uh, allows us to do like, we can play back recordings. Uh, we can set um, key phrases that we want to be mentioned. We can take a look at like, um, you know, things like patience. So like how long the sales person will wait before replying or the cutting people off so much data on that. Uh, and then we use pipe drive as our CRM to basically monitor like the stages. So how many deals are we getting in like unqualified each month? How many of them are making it to the SDRs and the AEs and what the closing rate is and from what source and what the value of each is. That's kind of like where we live, um, at least on the, on the management side of things for the most part. That's awesome. And, and, um, kind of shifting things over just to, to the marketing is, is, I mean, one of the things I was taking notes down is you guys have almost a thousand blog posts. Yeah. Um, obviously that's intentional. And you mentioned that when you first started, a lot of your role was, was writing a ton of content, right? Mm -hmm. How, how long was the strategy? Did you guys think when, when you first kind of approached it and when did you start to kind of see the reap the benefits of that content? Yeah, good question. So, I mean, I started when the content train was kind of already already rolling. Um, that started probably a couple of years before mm -hmm. I had gotten there. But the thing about content content marketing that I think a lot of people you should know is that it's a, it is a long term strategy, right? And it's it's uh, it's kind of random uh, to to be honest. Like you'll write the best article you imagine, <laughs> you know, the most comprehensive thing, and it's you know optimized for that keyword and and all that. And it just won't rank. So it's it's really a numbers game. You got to keep pumping it out, pumping it out, pumping it out. Um, it's not a short term solution. I mean, it, that being said, I think it is something that um, you know. Depend, I guess depending on the company, you should invest in. But um, yeah, it's just pure volume. Honestly, pure volume, good keyword research. Um, you know, comprehensively answering the question people are searching for, not being too salesy. Uh, and then making sure you have a good like backlink strategy to your your website or you know to the specific pages you want to boost mm. we, we do a lot of uh, link exchanges right now like i mean obviously backlinking is huge for seo so we have i think six companies that we do ongoing exchanges with um you know we, we have a list of keywords uh, product pages and specific blog posts that we want to boost and we'll kind of make sure that we're driving high quality links to those every month 
but that's so so just to, to interject in case people that that aren't marketing folks like what do you mean by backlinking what is that so like for instance like how does google know that this blog post about you know uh, best entrepreneurs is a legitimate article right or how mm -hmm. do we know that this article should be shown um, part of that is the content that Google can recognize on the page of it has entrepreneur mentioned this many times it has this images, you know, uh, people when they get to the page seem to stay on it for a certain amount of time. Uh, but the other part is how many people are referring to it, right? So that's a backlink of someone saying, you know what, this article is actually the best resource on that, right? Daily Hive said that and Startup Grind said that and, you know, this other marketing blog said that. And then Google starts to recognize that post is authoritative and will move you up through the ranks. Yeah. And, and so with that, like, are you look, when you look for, I guess, channel partners, like, what are you, what are you looking for? Like, is it, is it daily hive, which is what, you know, one of Vancouver's leading, you know, newspaper blogs, um, or, or is it something else? Like, what are you, what are you looking for when you're looking for partners? Uh, for backlink partners, we're looking for, um, well, a couple things. Uh, well, we use a, a, an app called a hrefs. Um, it's basically like an SEO software. Uh, you can put somebody's like website domain in and it'll tell you what their domain authority is. So it's basically how authoritative Google sees you as. Um, that's one thing that we really look at is like how, like how authoritative you are. We're not going to work with a blog that's been around for two weeks because mm -hmm. the link that a blog that's been around for two weeks is going to give you is going to be significantly less value than a blog from like entrepreneur.com. The other thing is that links, um, Google to some degree recognizes what industry uh, links come from. So for instance, uh, if I get a link from a company that's like, has five articles that are like in the number one or number two or number three placement for email marketing, best email marketing software, they show up for like email automation and all these different things. If they link to Wishpond with the, you know, with a, uh, a link that says Wishpond also does email marketing that shows Google that, okay, this authority in the industry is recognizing Wishpond as, an, as a reputable source for email marketing, whether it be a stat or whether it be for a service or a product that we offer. And that really holds a lot of weight. So I guess to answer your question, when we're looking at channel partners for blogging and SEO and getting our rankings up, I'm not really looking for like, um, you know, like a fuck Jerry or like, you know, some like, you know, place with ton like netflix.com. I'm not looking for some super high authority website anywhere I'm looking for specific to what we're talking about. So I'm trying to look for people who are talking about marketing agencies. I'm talking about people who are looking for, you know, content marketing or blogging or whatever pop-ups or email marketing or one of those things. Mm -hmm. And just to go full meta, I know there's a ton of blog posts on wishpond.com that, that are specifically talking about this, but, but it's always good to hear from the horse's mouth as well. Yeah. So, so there's a plug for everyone listening there. Um, but, but like this, like, it kind of sounds like, like you mentioned, it is definitely like a long-term play. So, so when we're going back to like, let's say that two week old business, that two week old blog, um, what's the, what's the motivation to, to keep going? And like, how much effort would you say, like, if, if it's, let's say it's your business, right? Like you're starting Wishpond from scratch now. Yeah. Um, you don't have domain expertise when you try to reach out to, you know, the Wishpond in your, in your domain, like obviously they ignore you cause you're brand new. Yeah. Um, what, like how much emphasis should you be putting on that on content strategy as, as your marketing to begin with? And, and like, does it evolve? Are you waiting for some sort of success metric to kick in before you're like, Oh, I should actually dedicate more time to this. Like how, how would you kind of navigate that? Yeah. So I think, you know, whether or not if it was me and, you know, we're starting again, and I think the, the, the how we would determine whether or not we would do content marketing would be determinate of what our average sale price would be or what the lifetime value of each customer is. If it's mm -hmm. a low lifetime value and it's like a $9 a month app or it's like a $20 a month or $50 or anything under a hundred, I think it, it makes content marketing does make sense. If it's like, we're going to be, you know, charging people $10,000 a month and it's super specific enterprises that are working in the FinTech space. I might honestly not do, I might maybe do a little bit uh, just for, you know, um, you know, brand recognition and kind of mm -hmm. uh, just to kind of answer questions for people as they kind of research or business. But I don't know if I would dedicate that many resource, that much resources to content marketing in that case. Uh, in terms of, you know, when are you going to see it paying off? Say, for instance, it's like you got an app that's like $50 a month and you're like, this makes sense for us. Um, honestly, like publishing three posts a week or two to three posts a week for like a year, honestly, then you're going to see a little bit of traction. So it's a, mm -hmm. not a short uh, time commitment 
or financial and, commitment. And especially, yeah, in, in terms of like time, right? Because because I think time is the biggest scarcity of of, of all you know early stage startups, or especially people trying to build that presence. Like, would you recommend that the founders are writing themselves? I, I mean, that depends if the founders are good writers. Yeah. Um, but but like contracting those kind of things, like how how wide does this go when you're just starting out? Yeah. I mean, it depends. I mean, so I, you know, I hate that term. It's like, it depends, but it really <laughs> depends, right? I mean, like I know Unbounce, you look at Unbounce, they started, uh, you know, with Ollie Gardner uh, publishing on the blog, mm-hmm. uh, you know, new guide to marketing that was in the early days. But the, the, the difference between then and now is that those search terms that he was ranking for when he's writing his content are way more difficult these days than they were back then. Yeah. So, you know, I would almost say like, if it's something that it, it depends on the product, right? Like if you're, if you're going to be, I don't know, like, yeah, it really depends. It's kind of on a case by case thing. I would probably recommend personally, uh, account-based marketing or outbound marketing or outbound sales, uh, to mm-hmm. start if I was really looking for some traction out, out the gate, um, inbound, depending on the, the topic, it, it's going to, you know, some things like you're competing with, you know, RBC bank or what, you know, I'm like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, so it's, it's more difficult, right? Yeah, no, for sure. So, so I mean that, I think it sounds like, and I'm trying to paraphrase what, what you've kind of given here is, is that, you know, if you are between that, that nine to $50 mark per month and you're, you're running something SaaS, like content marketing could be something you dive into, but you, you do need to kind of do your, your research on like, okay, who's in the market trying to go after the keywords that that I'm going after. Exactly. And, you know, so for instance, say you're like in the nine to $50 range, um, I'd say content and, you know, uh, you're trying to make content, uh, the time that it might make sense is if you're more niche, right? So it's yeah. like you, you have a tool, like a, I don't know, like a, instead of like a sales, 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 uh, instead of like, you know, competing with Salesforce for like a C, the term CRM you make <laughs> it for like, I don't know, like a, a veterinarian CRM yeah, or right? nonprofit CRM. Veter- or yeah. Ex- right? Veterinarians. And you're talking about all the veterinarian sales process, that stuff will be less, be less competitive for you than, than trying to just, you know, talk about all the sales process stuff and competing with Salesforce. Yeah, no, that makes sense for sure. And and if anybody's listening has more questions about content marketing, feel free to kind of fire that in. But for for let's say the other side of the coin, right? Like you talked a little bit about building a sales process from from day one. I think there are a couple of companies and, and definitely a lot of companies out there that that you know maybe they're listening to your advice now and they're saying, okay, maybe maybe I don't want to dedicate a year, two years of of writing three blog posts a week to, to try and build my sales funnel up. Um, so, so what are kind of the alternatives that you would recommend? Again, I, I, th- I think the context that I want to build is, is the, the product is good to go, but I think it's trying to unravel and, and really build up um, that, that sales process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, um, I, it's, it's a bit of a manual process, but you can, you can probably outsource some of this in terms of lead researchers who can help mm-hmm. find uh, companies in your space that you're trying to target. Be super specific. Um, if you can, uh, about the approach, um, the more generic you are, obviously the less kind of you know, snap, the, the less punchiness that your, your emails and the outreach that you do is going to have. But I would say, um, think about reaching out to people, uh, your core, you know, best audience that you want to, to basically onboard, um, I know that uh, ConvertKit, if you uh, listen to a C, um, uh, interview with one of the founders there, and he was saying that when they started, he would just reach, so ConvertKit was, uh, you know, blogging, uh, it's, it was like email marketing for bloggers. What he would do, he'd reach out to people who were using WordPress because he knew that they would be, you know, the right audience for him. And he would say, you know, give them like a suite, he'd give them a pit. He'd basically go, hey, I want to check out our tool. I'd love to hear your feedback, kind of really non-salesy. He'd get them on the call. He'd show them through everything and he'd give them things like, hey, it's like the same 50 bucks and I'll actually do the work and onboard you. So get the person on the platform and then built into the platform, we have things for like reviewing it and, you know, referring your friends and just getting that core base um, I think that would be my recommendation. Just get people in the platform um, and, you know, actually talk to them and, and make sure that the value proposition that you're staying on your website and that the, the features you're building actually makes sense based on what people are looking for. Would you tap into to advertising as well? Google ads, Facebook, LinkedIn, whatever. Uh, I don't know about LinkedIn. I mean, it, it really depends on the, on the type of business. Um, mm. It might make sense. Yeah, Google Ads. It could make sense to like a landing page and just to speak to somebody that kind of thing, but um, it would really depend. Mm-hmm. And and kind of kind of to to tweak a little bit 
talking about landing pages, right? Yeah. You kind of mentioned off the drop that that you guys have V1, V2, and I don't even know how many more specific landing pages. Um, is that, if, if I only have one, is that, am I, am I losing out here? Uh, like you only have one landing page? Yeah. Okay. Uh, or is it worth kind of testing multiple all the time, different regions, different demographics or whatnot? Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think it would make sense to, well, if you just have one landing page, you just have like your homepage essentially. Yeah, right? exactly. You're having a landing page. I would say like separate it based off like use case, for instance, like uh, if there's different types of users that use your platform, if it's like, for instance, for us, like gym owners, or if it's like, mm -hmm. you know, Etsy store owners and make this you know, like a solutions page specifically for them would make sense uh, as a landing page. And, you know, if you're doing, uh, especially if you're linking from your blog or something, people are checking it out and they read back like, oh, this company is like tailored to me, right? Because they, they answer all my problems and you just rehash your main website's value prop into this landing page. Um, it depends on the solution that you have though, how specific it is already. Or if yeah. it makes sense to make landing pages to make it even more specific. Or when you're working with partners, like channel partners, like when we have affiliates that we're working with, we might uh, send them to a page that has like their picture on it or that has like a testimonial from that person. Kind of makes it seem more uh, personalized, right? Yeah, for sure. And do you do you usually recommend? Actually, maybe, maybe let me ask this question in reverse because I don't want I don't want it to be just fluff. Do you see a case where where building an email list isn't useful? A case where building an email list isn't useful. Um, or should everybody be listening on this call just go and start an email list? Yeah, I don't think it hurts. I mean, it's pretty low barrier to, to entry, especially if it's, you have people coming to your website anyways and you got to put a quick lead magnet on there. Uh, you know, it doesn't hurt. I mean, there's two reasons. A, you can send them content and updates and product releases. Uh, and then B, if you build that up to, you know, a large enough base, you can use that as like a lookalike or kind of a retargeting audience as well, right? So you can find people similar to your newsletter people and that might help you hone in on people you can advertise to. Um, so I, I, it's probably one of the, it's one of those things you want to start early though, because, uh, you know, it's kind of a slow burn as well. You're not going to get, if you are to get, you know, you can, you can do things, uh, kind of like viral things to get like 50,000 people on an email list super quickly. But, you know, a lot of times if that's not the case and it's you know more sustainable to get people kind of slowly on your list that are actually reading your content or interested in you mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then how like on your guys email list, like how do you balance i guess value versus selling not to say that they can't be the both be the same thing but like how like because I, I i mean i'm on a lot of newsletters i can tell you like a lot of times some people send a lot of articles sometimes they're link out sometimes yeah. they're saying like hey sign up for my program or or my service or my product whatever it is how how do you generally kind of balance the that kind of information to to people yeah good question so i mean for us for the most part like i'd say like when we send emails it's like 95 percent content like and we just publish so much content on our blog that we just you know mail out basically for that and mm -hmm. the few times that we do send uh, kind of sales-based emails they perform better just because people aren't really there's a less less of an ask uh how do you balance it i mean i think for the most part uh most people who are doing email marketing are not being aggressive enough probably uh with your list um you probably can get more value from there um but that being said in terms of frequency of sending uh, in terms of sending a sales email every day, I don't know if I'd, I'd go into that, but I think you could definitely send more emails. And if it's to do with content, uh, you know, blog posts, um, product updates, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. I don't know if there's like a formula that was like 90, 10 or something. <laughs> and as I think the keyword today is it really depends. <laughs> yeah, it depends. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's fair. Um, Cool. What other, what other marketing advice would you give in terms of like, we've, we've obviously touched on content. We've touched on ads. We've touched on, on sales. We've touched on emails. Like what, what have I missed that, that perhaps you guys are doing, or you think people aren't doing enough of? Uh, yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it depends on what your, on what your app is. Right. I mean, uh, most of these people are, it's mostly SaaS businesses, I'm guessing, or yeah, and actually that that brings a good point because there there are some mobile apps. Like how does mobile kind of change things? And I'm hesitant to use the word mobile in, in 2020 because because devices are pretty ubiquitous. 
but yeah. but like if if my my sell or my ask is that it has to kind of go over to to android or app store like how does how would you change things from from that perspective because some are are like app only yeah i mean i think in that case you know ads could probably work right assuming mm -hmm. the right types of ads and then there's conversion tracking you can see when there's actually an app installed that might make sense you can make that if you can get that dial that in at a profitable rate then you can just scale scale that up um, I think one thing that we haven't talked about that, uh, is, can be useful is, uh, like influencer or affiliate programs. So working mm -hmm. with key people, um, that you think have the same target audience as you and, um, either working out a revenue split, uh, percentage of sales, or, uh, it could be just a one-on-one -on -one time payment. And you can do that with a couple people and kind of track the progress of that and see, okay, cool. This one actually seemed to make sense. This one doesn't really make Is there sense. an industry standard for, in terms of affiliate or percentage? Uh, for SaaS, like in the MarTech space that we're in about 30% uh, of, re of, you know, recurring revenue is usually, um, the case. Um, I mean, for, for apps and stuff like that, and some people might just prefer like a one-time payment, yeah. um, which you can kind of do the math on like how many people that you think can get directly yeah. from there. Um, so that, that could be another one. And then, honestly, that can be for, for like apps or, you know, things that are B2C, uh, that you need a lot of people that could be you know, a good option. Yeah, for sure. And, and in your, I, I don't know how, how vast your experience when working with influencers or affiliates are like, do, do you need to get to like a certain pedigree or a certain brand recognition before, before reaching out to affiliates or is it something that you can do from, from day one or, or, or early on? Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things like money, it depends on what the, the budget you have, right? Like I'm mm -hmm. going to work with you if you get the right, if the check makes sense and you know, it's kind of <laughs> like, they're not going to discriminate yeah. against you. What I will say is that, you know, you don't always have to go to like the, the top guy in your industry or whatever that is. Like there's a lot of micro influencers, people with, you know, lesser followers or lesser, a smaller audience that you can kind of test the waters with. Those people probably aren't being reached out to as aggressively as, uh, you know, other influencers that are kind of known in the space and they could have the same effect. The only part of that is that you're probably going to need more of them to get the same effect that you would from a, a larger one. Um, we have a program like this where we work with you know smaller marketing influencers, and we actually use PipeDrive to to handle it just because there's so many of them. We have one mm -hmm. person on our team who just follows up periodically to share new releases and all this kind of stuff um, and promotions that we have, um, and we can kind of track see how that's doing. Um, with affiliate programs, uh, it's one of those things where similar to content, it's like. I don't know. Like, it's like the, they say it's like the 80, 20 rule with, with other things. It's like the 95 to five rule. It's like, you're going to find some affiliates that you're going to get like two affiliates that are going to bring like every, like, you know, majority of the value and the rest are just not doing anything. So it's probably similar with influencers. You have to go through a lot of them to find which ones are going to make sense for you. And then uh, once you do, you can really double down on that. For sure. No, that makes a lot of sense. So just to kind of wrap things up, if there's any other class minute questions, uh, feel free to fire them in here. Um, one person asked, like, they're curious about like hiring internationally. What kind of challenges are you guys facing in terms of, you know, now having remote workers, I guess. Yeah. And, and I guess sometimes it's just national, not international, but, but like, what, what's your experience kind of been in working with, with people that are not like, you can't meet up with them. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's the thing is, uh, one thing that we found is that, uh, obviously you don't, you can't see them and uh, you know, you only have so many meetings a week. So you really just have to, everything you look at is just based off the deliverables and the performance that they're doing. Right. It's like, I can't tell if you're out for two hour lunch or if you're doing whatever. So just end of the day, you have to have super cl clear cut KPIs, hear your targets for the month. And you know, on a week by week basis or bi-weekly basis, like how are we stacking up against the KPIs that we're supposed to be hitting? Um, and if they deliver the results, that's great. And if they don't, then, you know, that's, whether that's a time management issue or coaching thing or something, then you can kind of look into that. So I'd say for remote people, it's like, don't even try to monitor like what time they log in, what time they log out, how long they take their lunch for. It's like, it's impossible, especially at the scale that we're growing at. Like it's just, just way too many people to keep an eye on. The one thing that we can track is just performance. And that's the only thing you really need to look at. Um, mm -hmm. Hiring wise, it's actually good. Like hiring wise, being able to open yourself up to a pool of international people. Now you get the best candidates. We have a hiring process, which is actually pretty cool. Uh, some of you guys might get some value from uh, what we do is we send uh, like a, basically we have um, like, I have a question. So I, I'll get like a bunch of people from Indeed and then we get like hundreds of applicants. And mm -hmm. what I'll do is I'll send them all like a template, which basically has uh, like a questionnaire 
of things yeah. that like I think would be good answers for them. Like it, so, it'll it'll be things where it's like uh, it's I can really dig into like how uh, proactive they think and you know how much uh, you know kind of subject matter expertise they have, and they answer that and I can see it like in a giant uh, spreadsheet, like Google Sheets. I can just go through and I can just highlight the people that I that I like. So it's like I literally have like you know 14 people or whatever highlighted in this Google Sheet. And I'll grab those emails and I'll put it into to Gmail and I'll send them all my calendar link for like a 15 minute uh, interview. And then within like 20 minutes or whatever, within like, you know, four hours into the day, the next day I have like, you know, eight interviews or 10 interviews scheduled from Calendly and I can just jump back and forth. Boom, 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 boom. You can find some people. And it's kind of like I've, I've vetted them out through their resumes and then I've, they've answered questions. I can quickly scan through the document, see which ones have legit answers take them in green and send them this calendly link and i have like a full day of resumes within like two days you can find a pretty legit candidate that's, that's really cool so so if anybody wants to capture that or, or hit pause and rewind on that i think i think there's some really cool stuff that you guys could do there to to, to mimic this this process um what what about kpis like how do you guys go around i guess it it, it really varies depending on role but i'm presuming that each <clears throat> excuse me each one of you will have your own kpis like does they get adjusted as they you know go into the role or or is it kind of day one and this is the the measuring stick that that people are are, are supposed to perform to and how do you kind of decide what what goes into that kpi yeah i mean so. it's it kind of revolves that's why it's they say like you should not i don't know i mean it's, it's difficult as, as you as you scale the company but i think early on it's like you don't really want to hire for jobs you don't understand yet like I've had that problem in the past where I hired like an affiliate manager when I had, when I first moved into this role and I had no idea what the affiliate manager was doing. And we ended up mm -hmm. keeping him on way longer than we should have. Cause I had just every time it's like, Hey, what's the update? Oh, still working on this. This takes longer than I thought this takes longer. It's like, I have no idea. And he's like, Oh, we need this. Okay, sure. Oh, like it's just giving these kind of fluff updates and I have no idea how long it's supposed to take. If you yourself uh, go out and write the first, you know, 20 pieces of content or 10 pieces of content, you know, okay, like I'm not a, you know, the craziest writer in the world, but this should take no more than a day for a 2000 word article. Cool. Right. If you yourself are doing link building and you're like, okay, well, you know, getting five backlinks when I'm outreaching myself per, you know, you know, two days or whatever makes sense. Okay. Let's, let's, you know, let's extrapolate that over a two week period. And then let's set that as the baseline or maybe give or take some amount. Right. But I think it requires that you have a good understanding of what people on your team are doing. If you're just going to hire somebody and, you know, in some cases it does work. I hired a, a support, you know, for a support manager and I hadn't done support in a while and he just, just kind of ran with it. But in some cases they'll just take you for, you, you can be taken for a ride, honestly, if you don't know what you're, what you're measuring against and you don't have a yardstick um, based in your own experience to, to know what to be tracking people based off. Uh, you know, you could be in a situation where you're like six months in, you're like, I have no idea. Like, sounds good to me. You know what I mean? So <laughs> Seems to be doing okay. <laughs> doing okay. Everything is like, yeah, just the thing about, you know, affiliates just takes longer than, okay, sure, right? Like, so, um, you know, I think it kind of sucks, but as a founder, you really have to, uh, or someone on the executive team, really have to dig in there and, and do the job yourself first, um, do the groundwork, know what the expectations would be, and then set that for the team when they get onboarded. For sure. No, that's, that sounds really good. So just kind of flip things up and 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 can things off, like, like, so we were talking about Sock Mafia uh, a little bit earlier at the very beginning. How does like kind of your role there, and obviously you're your co-founder and you have to run a lot of different things. How does your role there kind of overlap with your, your, the, the, your duties at Wishpond and like, what's, what's different? Uh, well, what's, I mean, it's pretty different. I mean, it's one sells funky socks. The other one is <laughs> SaaS company, services company. I mean, same demographic, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Same, exactly. People who like the the pineapple or the Taco Tuesday socks usually the yeah. same. Yeah. Setting up for SaaS. No, but I mean, it's there. Honestly, there are a lot of there are a lot of things that you can learn in you know, in, like out, outbound sales, for instance. Like you know, you find out. Okay, cool. People who like gift box businesses seem yep. to have a need for this stuff, and all of a sudden, okay to start reaching out to people who have those types of businesses. Okay, cool. So there's, there's, there's sales involved, there's marketing involved. Uh, I don't know. How is it? Sorry, what's the question? How is it? I'm, I'm, pr I'm pretty sure you're not calling, yeah. calling to have set up uh, info sessions for, for your sock sales. <laughs> no, not, not info sessions, but just honestly cold outreach. Just like, Hey, blah, blah. I work with this company, this company. Are you interested in, uh, do you need this for your thing? Like, you know, I think there's people just, just knocking at people's door. Hey, are you interested in this? Cool. Okay. What is the thing? Boom, 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 boom right? Here's the next step. Here's the pricing grid. Here's how we, 
you know, here's the shipping times, right? Like this, this exact same process, tracking them and then something like mm -hmm. pipe drive, very similar. Do you think asking for sales is vastly underused? Asking for sales? Yeah. Cause it kind of sounds like, like, um, from my experience in talking to entrepreneurs, a lot of times, like we, we beat around the bush, we want to set up calls, but we never want to ask like, Hey, do you want this? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's like the biggest problem that we have. Like when we hire new salespeople, even if it's like, I'm a seasoned salesperson and I've been in the business, you know, for X amount of years and we'll watch the end of their demos. It's kind of like, there's this part at the end of the call where it's like, so that's it. What do you think? Like, you know, it's like, they're, it's like, just ask, like give a clear next step. There's, there's, a, there's a saying that I love to use for, in our sales, for our sales team. It says, actually, we were going to get it printed on our wall as a mural if we would have, you know, if we were in there more often. It says, here's what happens next. After, if you've determined that they're the right audience for you, you've done a pitch, you've, you know, you've shown them things, you've checked in, they're like, yes, I'm interested in this. This could add value to my business. At the end of that process, once you tell them the price and everything, here's what happens next and tell them how to sign up. Here's, here's how to start with our team. Here's a date that we're starting. Like, shoot your shot right and for the most part most people don't uh do that so um and then you kind of just like so what do we do we like limbo's on and then and then you know if a lot of people are afraid to do that then they, what they do is that they're they're following up with these kind of kind of like little super passive emails for the next six months you know i know we spoke back in october but are you still on the radar it's like i'm gone dude ask me when we're, we're actually there right <laughs> No, that's fair. I, I do notice that I, I don't know if it's North American culture, but I definitely like see, see like needing that ask more often when, when, like for me, like whenever someone's trying to pitch me, whatever, whatever the, the sales is, right? Like I want to know like, like what they need from me at the, like, what, what, are, what are they trying to get out of me? Like if they can get to the point faster, then I can either say yes or no, or maybe, right? Like if, if, and then from your perspective, if it's a maybe, then you can try to further solve my pain point. Like what, what would turn that maybe into a yes. Right. Yeah. But if, if you don't ask and you leave it up to me to, to contact you whenever mm -hmm. I'm not going to contact you, dude, unless I really, really, really want it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I think, yeah, you know, asking for the sale, um, you know, I think the, the biggest thing is like, I think people, it's like, we have so many ideas. Everyone has all these things like, oh yeah, this person ideally, but I need to wait on this conference to happen, this ad thing to happen, this and that. It's like, there's people all around that you're telling me fits your perfect target audience. And like, are you just, you know, afraid to just like email them or pick up the phone and just ask them if it's something that would be of value to them. And honestly, like just getting that feedback of like, you know what? like this is useful or this is not useful like that information this feature is not good for me this feature is good for me like that's going to dictate your whole marketing strategy and you know everything so i think the quicker you can get to that the better off you'll be awesome hey thank you so much kevin it is i think we we got a lot of value from from this conversation we went through uh, a ton of stuff um i think my last thing is like how can people reach out to you how can people find you whether it's it's online or, or email or whatever you want yeah, feel free. Yeah. So feel free to uh, reach out to me at Kevin at wishbone.com. If it's like anything to do with like your app or, you know, uh, getting some traction or specific marketing advice, I'm happy to just send it over to you, you know, you know, whatever you need. Um, and then feel free to connect me within LinkedIn. I'm happy to chat there and yeah, I'm local. So once this craziness <laughs> ends, I'm always happy to meet up for coffee or something. Yeah. Really appreciate your time, man. And, and I think I'm gonna go off and buy some socks. Sounds good. <laughs> All right. Take care, everyone.